Hello, my name is Katherine Moore, social worker, mom, coffee lover, and founder of Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. I'm so excited you found my podcast. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We will hear the stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello, hello, hello. It is your host, Katherine Moore. Welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. I'm so excited to be here. And to be honest, this is a little late. I meant to release this about two weeks ago, but life happened. Uh, My daughter got sick and her bedroom happens to also be my recording studio. So that was unavailable. And then this week when she's back in school, of course, I lost my voice (laughs) and we're still not back at 100%, but whatever, F it, we are doing this. We are getting this done because I already have so many cool episodes lined up for you. We have guests from talking about school social work. We're going to be talking about working with trauma and children, clinical supervision, talking about money next week. So there are a lot of really, really great episodes that I'm so excited to release, and I just could not wait another day. So today, we're going to be talking about medical social work and giving you a behind-the-scenes peek from my experience. And just to put this out there, full disclosure, this is based on my experience in Southern California and some research that I did as of October 2021. So, Keep that in mind when you're listening to this, that this is not going to be everyone's experience, and this is just coming from me. Um, If you are interested in medical social work, definitely, definitely seek out other medical social workers, talk with them, see if you can hop on a little meeting with them just to see what it's like and um, to ask them a little bit of questions and to network. It never hurts. The worst they're going to say is no or not respond. And in that case, you really haven't lost anything. So I definitely encourage you to to reach out and to network. So with that, before I lose my voice again, let's hop into this episode about medical social work. First, I wanted to give a little bit of background on how we got these questions. Um, Two different times on my Instagram stories, I asked you all, what would you want to know about medical social work? And by the way, if you're not following me on Instagram at social workers rise, definitely do that right now. Take out your cell phone, open up the Instagram app, type in social workers rise and tap that little follow button and tap the little bell. So you see when I post. That way you don't miss any updates or information from me or about the podcast or about all the other amazing things that we have going on here, including courses and the Rise Directory, which is a 
National Directory of Clinical Supervisors. So definitely stay connected on Instagram. Send me a little message. It's me. I really do respond. I don't have a team. It's just me. So I love it when you reach out. So let's hop into medical social work. These came, these questions came from the stories and you all had a lot of questions. I loved it. So I'm going to answer the, the general categories that you all wanted to know about. So first is what types of medical social work is there? There's all sorts of different types and I'm learning new ones every day, but generally you're going to see hospital, hospice, home health, outpatient clinics, skilled nursing facilities, oncology, dialysis centers. Those are all of the different settings that you're going to find medical social work in. There are probably more, but those are going to be the main ones. And as far as the credentials that you need, most medical social workers need a master's degree. Sometimes for some companies, you do need your license. You need your LCSW. However, for other positions, you can start doing them with a bachelor's degree. And I have heard of that, especially if you are working in a skilled nursing facility. They frequently do have social services uh, directors that have a bachelor's degree. So that could be a really, really good starting point to kind of get your foot in the door. Um, with hospice, a lot of times I've seen that they do require a master's degree. And a lot of times with the more independent places, like if you might be in an outpatient or in a hospital, they will ask for a license. And I know for mine specifically, they just really don't have the capacity to provide that clinical supervision. We are working very independently and it's very fast paced. So they hire only licensed social workers because they know that if you're licensed, you have experience, you know generally what the resources are, how to deal with people, how to work on teams, all, all of those different types of situations that are going to come up. And so a lot of times they do only hire license, but it just depends on where you're going. If it does require a license, I wouldn't, and you don't have one, I would apply anyway and see what they say because they may be able to work out something where they contract with the clinical supervisor and a good place to find a clinical supervisor would be the RISE directory that you can go and see if there's a supervisor in your area that might be able to contract and provide supervision that way. But it just really depends on, on you know, who's hiring you and, and uh, the negotiation that you're able to work out with that. Next, that you all wanted to know about the pay. According to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, medical social work is one of the highest paying areas in social work. For example, the annual wage for all social workers in all fields was over 51,000. So 51,760 per year in May of 2020. While if you're looking at the median wage for healthcare social workers, it was about 6,000 more per year at 57,630. Or that breaks down to an hourly wage 
of $27.71 per hour, which I still think is underpaid, but if you're just starting out, that is going to give you some numbers of where the, the nation is. And then it's going to also depend on your state. So <clears throat> if you are living in one of the top paying states, you could probably negotiate a little bit of a higher wage. The top paying states for medical social work, according to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, are California, the District of Columbia, Oregon, Hawaii, and Connecticut. So hopefully that gives you some insight into the kind of salary that you would be expecting and can negotiate for. So next is going to be, you know, generally, what kind of work do you do as a medical social worker? What are your responsibilities? While we're talking about medical social work, I wanted to pause and just acknowledge how awkward it can be to have end of life conversations with patients and families. Sometimes we are called in to speak with somebody about their end of life decisions and asked to fill out an advanced directive with them, or depending on your state, you might be asked to fill out a post form. This can be so awkward and this was definitely not covered in grad school. So to help this conversation flow more smoothly and to help you just have more confidence in approaching this in your initial meeting with the clients, I put together a course, a mini course essentially called the Pulse Basics for Medical Social Workers. I put the link in the show notes, so definitely Take a little bit of time, check it out, see if it will help you get more confident in how to approach the end of life conversations in a less awkward way so that you keep that rapport that you already have. What are you doing on the day to day? What's your caseload? What are the hours like? So it depends. <laughs> and I know you hate that answer, right? But it depends. So Sometimes the hours, for me personally, the hours are eight to five and they have a social worker there during the day. And then after five or six, that's when the on-call social worker starts. And it's just, if you have, if they have an emergency that a social worker needs to be contacted, then they'll call the person on call and you may or may not have to come back to the hospital. However, I have heard of other social workers that they work late into the night and start early in the morning. So it's something to clarify um, with the hospital if you're interviewing with them. <clears throat> the the caseload also depends. So we always have a lot of requests in our queue that we get every day. So when I go in during the day, I first check my emails and I look at the orders. I then prioritize who do I need to see first? And this will go for any area of the so of the hospital. Me as a per diem, I'm filling in wherever I'm needed. So sometimes I'm covering the entire hospital while other times I'm only covering a specific unit. Other social workers who work there, they 
may be assigned a specific unit. So the ICU or the emergency department often has their own social worker. There's oncology or people um, who are are fighting cancer. There's the um, the NICU, so working with babies and parents of babies, um, all sorts of different areas that you could learn, that you could work at. Um, you may or may not work in a specific one. It just depends, again, on on what you're hired for, right? So I go in and I triage, you know, who's going to be the most important. The most important people are people who are at risk for harm or suicide or some sort of like mental health crisis, and they need help immediately. The other one would be a death. So if a call comes in and somebody has died and the family needs support, then that's going to be a top priority. The other one would be if they are discharging home. So for example, I'll work in the part of the hospital where uh, families have babies and they birth babies. And sometimes if there is a need identified, that family might be going home at 10 a.m. So that's the standard discharge time for our hospital. And so I will try to respond, you know, before 10 a.m. That means looking at their chart, seeing what they, what the referral is for, getting more details, looking for anything that might be kind of out of the ordinary, depending on their age, depending on their diagnosis, on if they've had frequent hospital visits and they're very young, that would be kind of out of the ordinary. Um, so just looking at the chart and getting a full picture as much as I can of what's going on medically with the person. And then when I go in there, I'll be doing a psychosocial assessment, meaning I'm looking at their supports. How are they coping? How are their, um, how's their mental status? Do they have any diagnosis of, of mental illness in the past? If they did, how are they coping with it? Do they need extra support? How are their social supports? How's their family? Are, how is the housing? How are their finances? How else? They need transportation home. Um, so what does that look like? And any other, you know, exploring for safety issues that might come up. So anything, just getting the whole picture really of the person. And so that would be the psychosocial assessment. So that's kind of what I'm looking for when I'm talk about high priority. And then the other types of requests for social work that might come in are people who are experiencing homelessness and they need help with housing, <clears throat> people who are struggling with addiction and they need support or resources or a uh, rehabilitation place to go. People who are, let's see, maybe cope, having trouble coping with an adjustment to illness. Maybe they, the family had to put someone on a vent or maybe they're kind of trying to decide, you know, is this treatment still effective or do we need to look at something else? Do we need to talk about hospice? And that's hospice is a whole nother part of the hospital and the medical setting. 
and I have worked in hospice as well for four years and I absolutely loved it. I really, really loved it there. And with hospice, the day-to-day was pretty much the same, um, except for there I would have scheduled visits because I would be visiting the patient wherever the patient lives out in the community and more more conversations with the family as opposed to, you know, in the hospital or if you're doing hospice in a facility, you know, it would look a little bit different. So as far as the caseload with the hospital, it's usually when I'm in there for about eight hours, I'll see anywhere from eight to 12 or 15 patients per day. And that's a busy day and there's a lot going on. However, I have heard of other hospital social workers where they have to see everybody. Like they have to close all the cases that day. And that could mean a lot more people that they're seeing and, you know, a little bit less time that they're able to spend with the patient. So it really depends on on where you're working at. My hospital in particular, they really emphasize just helping the person in front of you. So try to do that efficiently, um, but make sure you're doing it thoroughly as well. So they don't want you to just kind of just go in there for the sake of doing the visits. They really want you to, to make sure that you're helping that person. So that is one of the good things that I like about my particular Uh, work area. And the other thing too, is there could be a lot of discharge planning. So for my particular area, I don't do a lot of discharge planning. My main focus is really on helping people cope while they are there in the hospital and setting them up with resources in the community. So once they go home, they don't come back. So that is a big, big goal of hospitals is to make sure that we take care of the patient enough so that they can prevent another emergency and they can see their primary care doctor in the community. They can stay stable and well, so they don't have another emergency and they don't have to come back. So that is a big goal. If you could emphasize how you help people to be safe, (laughs) definitely do that in the interview, but we'll talk more about how to get hired a little bit later. So, so that is the caseload. We, my particular position does not do a whole lot of discharge. However, there are social work positions that are heavily focused on discharge. So that could be another area to ask about in an interview. Um, what the duties are going to be because if it's discharge planning, then you're doing a lot more office work, a lot more calls, a lot more um, logistics of planning how to get them home, calling the the medical transport if needed, uh, calling around to maybe they need placement, calling around to different skilled nursing facilities, see who has an open bed, maybe calling to a psych facility, see who has an open bed. So there's a lot more logistics and calls that are going on with discharge planning. So that pretty much sums up the day-to-day responsibilities 
Generally, our goal is to support people, do psychosocial assessments, update the team. Um, and by the way, working with nurses and doctors has been really, really interesting for me, and, and I love it. They're just a wealth of knowledge. And I always learn something every single day when I talk to one of the nurses or doctors. And generally, it's nice because the settings that I've been in, they do value social workers and they do value how we help the clients and what we add to the team because we really take a huge load off of the nurses and doctors because by us going in there and being that listening ear and allowing them to vent and sometimes even being like a verbal punching bag and letting them vent about how the healthcare system's fucked up or how they're just so angry how the services have failed them and yeah you know a lot of times that has happened and when the when there's a systematic problem that people are ticked off about i think that is the hardest part about being a social worker in the medical system which is another question is, you know, what's the hardest part is the system is flawed and there's a lot of really, really good people within the system. However, when it's broken, it's broken and people don't get served. Sometimes people are harmed. Sometimes people don't know the questions to ask. And so the medical team may not tell them. So that's part of it is to educate the patients on what are the questions they should be asking. How much do they really want to know? Because the doctors and nurses don't want to scare people. Um, but at the same time, they may not offer up this information um, because they're not sure if the, if the family really wants to know. So educating the family on on how it works and how they can be an ongoing advocate for themselves. Because while I can be an advocate for them in the hospital, once they go home or back to their doctor, you know, I'm not there. So it's really important to educate them on, on what they can do and how they can be a strong advocate for themselves. So that is probably the hardest part is <clears throat> listening to stories of people who have been failed by the system and being powerless to do anything about it besides taking a little bit of that anxiety and trying to help them find ways to cope and how to find ways to go forward with hope. And, you know, that's realistic hope. So, <clears throat> so those are the day-to-days, you know, within the social work area in the hospital. And next I want to talk about how you can get hired or transition into medical social work. I have some tips on the skills to definitely highlight if you want to get into the medical field. Uh, we talked earlier about the degrees that are needed. So definitely look that up. There will be medical jobs that you can get. There might not be a lot of them, but um, just keep looking, stay consistent and keep looking. Skills to highlight. <clears throat> Definitely highlight any of these if you know how to do them, if you're good at them, if you have previous experience in them. Definitely put these on your resume. HIPAA compliance, CPS or APS reporting. 
competency um, and, and legal competency, advanced directives, end-of-life conversations, common knowledge of common DSM diagnoses, drug effects and side effects of those drugs, and that could be common medical drugs or street drugs. <clears throat> know your common DSM diagnoses. So in the hospital, you're going to see a lot of anxiety, depression, um, especially if you're working in a psych facility or in the emergency department, you're going to see more people who have bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, um, schizoaffective. So there's a lot of different diagnoses that you need to be aware of. <clears throat> Home and safety for seniors and children. If people are going through some sort of medical condition or impaired um, ability to function, you need to know what that's going to translate into at home. So for example, if I break my leg, am I going to be able to transition out of bed and get myself to the toilet and clean myself effectively, right? Or am I going to need help? Am I going to need a caregiver? So thing, little things like that that make a huge difference. Mental health, homelessness, um, know how to do a suicide assessment, the suicide risk factors, working as a team, um, highlight your knowledge of community resources. So a lot of these skills that you're going to get in other areas can be transferable to the hospital setting. Also, you know, highlight professional documentation. And lastly, understand the client's right to self-determination. Um, if we as the medical team has a, have a certain goal or would like to see something happen, but the patient really doesn't want that, then we have to determine, are they competent? Do they have that right to self-determination and, and respect that? So the next question is, you know, are there jobs available? Yes. Yes. There are definitely jobs available. Social work is one of the fastest growing industries right now. And medical social work in particular is projected to add 24,000 jobs nationwide by 2030. So there is definitely room for you um, to get in there and to start building those skills. So the last question that I've gotten is, <clears throat> I feel overwhelmed and what can I do about it? So this is common in all sorts of different fields. If you are feeling overwhelmed, like you are losing interest, if you're just, uh, just going through the motions and just barely trying to get through the day, I get it. I have been there. We hear a lot of emotionally heavy stories. And while our jobs may not be physical a lot, I mean, we're walking around, but we're not doing construction, for example, right? So that's more physical. And in society, when you have a physical job like that, it's more acceptable, quote, to, to take the weekend off, to just sit on the couch and not do anything because, oh, you're, you must be so tired because you've physically worked so hard. It's the same thing for emotional stress, okay? We hold 
so much emotional stress from other people, from ourselves, from our colleagues, that it, it, it takes a physical toll because emotions turn into chemicals that are then stored in our body. So it is a physical job. It, it turns into a physical job. And it is important that we effectively process all of that stress and all of those emotions on a regular basis, on a daily basis, so that we can continue to show up as our best every single day. My friends, we are in a marathon. This is not a sprint. There is always, always going to be people who need your help. You are never, ever going to be able to help everyone who needs your help. So you need to set those boundaries. Understand what's realistic for you to do. Is it realistic for you to do everything that you feel that you need to do or everything that your boss is telling you needs to be done? Is it realistic? If not, figure out what is realistic for you and what's the priority. So sometimes all of those things are not going to be done, but if we can get the highest priority ones done, then we may need to learn how to be happy with that. So don't feel pressured to continue to wear yourself out because you think it's what you're supposed to do as a social worker. I know I thought that for a long time and I thought I wasn't good enough and I wasn't cut out to be a social worker because I would look at all my colleagues and and say, oh my gosh, they're doing so much and I can't keep up. What is wrong with me? Maybe I'm just not cut out for this work, but it's not that. It's you need to take that time for you and recognize what are your red flags when you're starting to feel stressed out? And what are the ways that you like to replenish yourself and process that stress? The most effective way is through movement or exercise, but there's so many other ways. I mean, I found research for 12 different ways to process our stress. I did a whole workshop on it. And we'll probably do another one too. But if you are feeling overwhelmed, just talk with your supervisor. If you have a clinical supervisor, talk with them. If you need a clinical supervisor or someone who's who's more in alignment with with your goals and your values, definitely check out the RISE directory. Um, And at the end of the day, you cannot self-care your way out of a toxic work environment. If your work environment is toxic and there's just no other way around it, then definitely start looking for another job. Because like I said, there are other jobs out there. There are other companies that are going to value you and your skills. So don't sell yourself short. And with that, I thank you so much for being here during this episode of Social Workers Rise If you got value from this episode, please let me know. You can find me on Instagram at socialworkersrise, or if you are on iTunes with your iPhone, definitely give us a little five-star review and a short note on why you love listening to the podcast. It really helps other people be able to find us and join us as well. Next week, we're going to be hearing 
about money. We need more of it, right? <laughs> so this is going to be money tips. Every social worker should know. Yes, even if you are broke, it is even more important that you understand money, how it works, where it's going. And we're going to be hearing from a financial advisor to give us all the tips and tricks, tips and tricks. So listen in. I can't wait to see you next week. Bye. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you loved it, please open up your iTunes, tap the five stars, and leave a short note on why you love listening to the Social Workers Rise podcast. Also, if you want to share it on social media, I absolutely love it. You have me fangirling all over you. Take a screenshot and share it and tag me at Social Workers Rise on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, just want to leave a little bit of legal disclosure here that the information, opinions, and recommendations presented in the Social Workers Rise podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done so at your own risk. This podcast should not be used in place of professional advice, therapy, or clinical supervision. And with that, my friends, I'll talk to you next week.